If you have your Bibles, let's go to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 will be our text today. And as you are turning there, I'd like to address something. Um, Many of you know that there was a board of supervisors meeting this past week in which a man here in the county spoke out um, with his desire that the board of supervisors no longer be able to have prayer, especially prayer in Jesus' name. And um, I wanted to do this not in any way to advertise uh, myself or advertise our church, but just to make sure that the record is straight. I had the, the honor of being the rebuttal to this argument saying that we should not be allowed to pray, um, even though the people of this county overwhelmingly approve that, and our Board of Supervisors does. Uh, If you saw the Roanoke Times article, uh, I was quoted as saying, I am not a radical hellfire preacher. Um, That is not what I said. I said I am not a radical hate-filled preacher. Okay? I just... All we're wanting to do is set the record straight. No animosity, no hatred. Uh, The reason why I would not use the term hellfire is because that can mean many things to different people, right? That can have to do with your style. It can have to do with what you believe. Now, let me be very clear. I do believe that the Bible teaches that hell is a real place and it's filled with real people. And if you do not repent, that's where you're going. I do believe in hell. The reason why I use the term hate-filled is because we are a Baptist church, and there's also another Baptist church. They're not really Baptist. They're not really a church, but they're the ones called Westboro Baptist Church. The ones who go to the military funerals and protest and say God hates homosexuals, but they use a different word for homosexuals. want to distance ourselves so far from that. So that was inaccurate. She asked me, she said, Did you, there were a lot of pastors who came. This is the Roanoke Times reporter who came. Uh, did, you, did you tell any of them to come? I said, I didn't tell any of the pastors to come, which I did not. I said, I didn't mention it in my church on Sunday. But I did tell our prayer group to come. But it came out in the article that Pastor Jeff said that he didn't ask anyone to come. That is inaccurate. That is not what I said. Third inaccuracy in the Roanoke Times reporting of the event. Y'all okay with this? And by the way, you should give the Franklin Net County News Post a big high five because they actually reported what happened. Can you believe that? You got some honest reporters here in Franklin County. There we go. Um, it was in the article. It was stated that that Dave Gresham, the man who who wants prayer removed, said to the board of supervisors. <clears throat> Are you going to ask us to turn east and bow and pray to Mecca? And he said, I didn't think so, and went on with his presentation. The way the article said it happened is when Gresham asked the board of supervisors to turn towards the east and pray to Mecca, and when they would not, he addressed his concern with exclusively Christian prayers. What the Roanoke Times article made it sound like was that there was some type of a confrontation, right? That he asked them to pray as Muslims, and when they said, we will not, he made his argument. That's not what happened. He was using it as a hyperbole, as an example to begin his speech, okay? Just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. And Some people are like, Jeff said he's not a radical hellfire preacher. Well, I, th- I think he may be a nice guy. I don't know, but that just sounds strange. 
Okay, I didn't use that phrase. And, and finally, um, I would say that, that the transcript of what I said <clears throat> um, verbatim, I talked to some people and they thought it would be very wise to have that on the website. So if anyone had questions about what was said um, from me, which we're all in this together, I hope. Y'all have my back on this? We all in it? Okay. That it's on there on the website. So if you go to RockyMountBaptistChurch.com, right below the front picture on the front page, there's a link to the Board of Supervisors meeting. There's the transcript with the footnotes of the cases that were cited in favor of our argument to say that we're free people and we can do what we want as long as it's legal. And I believe that it's a freedom issue and it's a liberty issue. And I hope that you will call the Board of Supervisors and tell them that you appreciate them for their stand because what they're doing is they are literally putting their political necks out nine miles. It's not wise to do. Politically speaking, what they've continued to do up to this point. This is 2012 in America. And they're continuing to say, this is what we want to do. We're free people. And as long as we can do it, we're going to continue to do it. So... Let's, uh, let's do this um, for, the, for the glory of the Lord. And once again, this is not an attempt by me or us to try to stir up any hornet's nest or to be abrasive. And I would also warn you against what some people call righteous anger. If you love the Lord... If you believe in traditional American values, if you love the Constitution, if you see words in there like Creator, which the founders were big fans of the Creator, then you see someone trying to take that away. There can be this emotion of anger towards that person. Let that not be us. Let us pray for this man. Let us show love to this man. Let us not show anyone that we want to come somehow and overwhelm them and beat them into the ground with our, quote, biblical truth. Jesus says, all men will know that you are my disciples by your arguments, by your logically devastating philosophical undercutters, by your love for one another. So what we ask the prayer group to do, we're asking you to do, is pray, show love. I think we should still give arguments. I think that we should still contend for the truth but we do it with love for the person and not just trying to win the argument. So I just wanted to put that, put that out there to make sure that we're all on the same page. And uh, if you still want me to be your pastor, I would love to continue to do that. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. This is the beginning of a four-week series on the subject of fear. The fear of people is what we're going to discover today, what the Bible says about it, and how we can overcome it. And for our men... Probably most of the men would fold the arms and say, I'm not scared of anything. Except for, you're scared that people will think that you're scared. Every single one of us struggles with the fear of man, as the Bible calls it. Or, if you're a wise man, sometimes you may struggle with the fear of woman. Y'all okay? The fear of what other people may do, what other people may say. And notice, this is a key verse 
in Proverbs 29, 25, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to read it. And then this verse kind of, if you could imagine a bicycle wheel with the center hub and the spokes going out, this is our hub. And what we're going to do is try to take a brief survey of examples in the Bible that illustrate that the fear of man is a trap. Notice what the Bible says, Proverbs 29, 25. My version says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Now you can translate this this last phrase there, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You can translate that as whoever trusts in the Lord is exalted or lifted up. The picture here in the verse part of this verse is the fear of man lays a snare. Now, now what's a snare? I actually thought about bringing some traps in here for visuals. And I have done that before when we had a larger stage, a youth conference or whatever to illustrate a message. But I was like, with drummers and with guitar players and amps and microphone cables and choir and myself and Fred, if I put a a trap up here, somebody's going to step on it. You know what I'm saying? And that would just be a very awkward way to recover from, right? One of the old school bear traps, boom, right? I mean, can you imagine trying to recover? So so we don't have traps up here because we have kids in the church as well. So parents and grandparents, don't worry. It's not booby trapped up here on stage. But there's actually, if you've ever studied trapping, it's an incre- it's a very intriguing thing. There's actually lots of traps. There's something called a pole trap, right? You, you get your tree and it's in the ground, it's rooted, and you tie a string or a piece of rope, and you bend it down, and you make yourself kind of like, if you want to know how after, it's, it's pretty, pretty easy. You've probably seen it on the Rambo movies, but you can make yourself a snare, but it has a trigger. So whenever the animal, or if you're trying to trap people, they walk through and into the snare, they move it from the trigger, and it sets it off, and all of a sudden the tree pops up. And we've seen those movies, right? Somebody going through the jungle, boom, get caught, and all of a sudden they're hanging upside down. That's a trap. There's also a trap known as a deadfall trap. Very, very dangerous. You get a very heavy tree. It's the same type of deal. You put some food underneath it. When the animal trips the trigger, the heavy log falls and kills the animal. There's lots of different traps There's live traps that people use today, right? Someone has a squirrel problem, unless they're a redneck just kills them and eats them, right? But if you're not a redneck, you you go buy a live trap and you, you trap the squirrels live and then take them somewhere and then somebody else has a squirrel problem, right? There's live traps. But what the Bible's speaking of here as a snare, it's so intriguing because a snare is not fancy. A deadfall takes a lot of work. A pole trap, it's very, very, very specific. Live trap, they didn't have those back then because why would you trap something and then let it loose because it's going to come back again. But 21st century Americans don't always track with that. A snare is something that would be placed along a path of travel that an animal would go. It's just a small loop and it's wrapped around the rest of the rope that is tied to something firm. And when the animal is walking, it doesn't notice the noose because it's not really a big trap. And it walks through and it gets caught in the noose. And the more the animal struggles, the more the animal is trapped. I put three dangers of snares in your notes. Number one, snares are deceptive. 
They are placed in paths, number two, often traveled. Number three, they are designed to snare the prey when it is moving. And what Satan desires to do with the fear of what people think about us today is he wants to get us scared. He wants to get us thinking, what will they think if I do this? If I get really radical about my faith, if I begin to share Jesus, if I tell people what I've been learning from reading the Bible, it may be that they're going to think I'm some type of a fanatic and Satan will try to snare us and trap us. The Bible says that the fear of people is a snare. Question before we jump in deep with the floaties this morning. Is your life characterized by a fear and a reverence and an awe and a love for what God has said? Or are you the type of person to where you're too scared to do anything for the Lord? I just want to be very upfront, very honest. This comes from love from the Lord and from my heart teaching this text. If you are characterized by fear, if you are to the point to where you are so timid, you're never willing to step out into those awkward waters, what the Bible calls obedience, you can pretty well kiss it goodbye for ever doing anything for the Lord. Sorry. That's a brutal truth, but the reason is, is that when we serve the Lord, we are swimming against the current. You ever seen, is it the salmon, right? They swim against the current. That's what it is to live for Christ. So someone's told you that living for the Lord, trying to mend those, y'all are right, mend those broken relationships in our families trying to go back and repair damage that has been continued for years and years, that's going to be awkward. It's going to be hard. It may be embarrassing. But in order to follow the Lord, we have to come to the point to we're willing to look dumb. We have to. Now, I'm not saying that we, we go out and we try to create drama, but there's going to be a place to when you share the gospel with your family member, there's going to be that, y'all I'm talking about, that tension, that awkward, awkward, embarrassing tension to where you don't know what to say. It's going to have to happen. And so we can either run from it or we can embrace the awkward and embrace Obedience. I've given five examples here from Scripture that we're going to look at of what a fear of people can do. Five dangers of the fear of people. Number one, from Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20, if you're taking notes, the fear of people can cause you to lie. You remember in Genesis chapter 12, first ten verses, God calls this guy named Abram out of modern-day Iraq. And Abram worshipped, remember this, he worshipped the moon. Now today, our dogs howl at the moon, but Abram and his people worshipped the moon. Now let's stop and think about this for just a few minutes. You're you're an ancient person, you look up the moon, you look at the moon, and you're like, I want to worship that. Like, couldn't you have found a better choice? They were moon worshippers from the land of Ur. You are. Modern day Iraq. God came and says, you know what? I'm going to save that guy. I'm going to transform him. God gave him all kinds of promises. Like, I'm going to bless the whole world through your descendants. And then guess what happens the next few verses? Abram's got a very beautiful wife. Her name is Sarah. And they begin to travel. They go to Egypt. And he thinks, because my wife is so beautiful, what the Egyptians are going to do is they're going to possibly kill me and take her for themselves so he gets her to lie, saying that she's only his sister. 
Now, have you ever been there before? Maybe not that exact situation in Egypt, thinking that people are going to kill you guys and take away your wife. But in this situation, all right, God has given you promises to say, I will take care of you. But all of a sudden we look outside and we say, well, I know that the promises are in here. But when I look out there, I see everything that's saying that the promises will never happen. And what we begin to do is we begin to compromise and we can even come to the point to when we fear people instead of God, we begin to lie. Abraham did the same thing in Genesis chapter 20 with Abimelech. Same story. And this is an amazing thing too. Uh, the Bible says that, that Sarah, she was in her, in her 90s, but she was a very beautiful woman. What an amazing thing for Scripture to point out. By the way, there are some, you know, I've noticed some ladies and they say, oh, I'm getting old and I've got, I've got wrinkles and I'm not what I, I used to be. Hey, the Bible says you can be a looker up into your 90s. Don't know if I should have said that, but we're just going to go ahead and move on. Number two, the fear of people can cause you this is very basic, to disobey God. 1 Samuel chapter 15, and by the way, guys, this would be a good time for you to turn to your wife, to your girlfriend, significant other, and say, baby, you will always be a looker to me. Amen? All right. There we go. That's called biblical game. Number two, it can cause you to disobey God. 1 Samuel chapter 15, remember the story? God had given King Saul the charge to go to this specific place and God had quarantined this specific group of people for judgment. And this goes into a lot of theological issues, but I just want to say this and we're going to move on, that there is a point to where God says payday someday and today is payday. Last week's message, remember the heart of it? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. The Amalekites had hardened their heart to the point that God says, I want you to wipe them out. But what, what King Saul, and this is different from Saul, Paul of the New Testament, this is old school King Saul, a head taller than everybody, too scared to go fight Goliath, the guy who was super insecure. What he did is he feared the people. This is what... Saul said, then Saul said to Samuel, so God sent this old guy named Samuel, this prophet to confront Saul. And Saul says, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. And what happened a few verses later in verse 28 of 1 Samuel chapter 15. So Samuel, because Saul decided to live his life, please hear this, this is huge, especially, especially with the board of supervisors meeting. As a political guy, he decided to live his life based on public opinion polls versus truth. Whether it's our board of supervisors, whether it's our governor, our representatives, our senators, and us, may it be said that for all of the people of Jesus Christ, we say, even if I lose my job, if you don't ask me to come to your parties that are lame anyway, even if you exclude me from these social circles, I will not bend and I will not bow from what is right. Amen, church? Say, I will not go further than this. This is who I am. But Saul was the other way. He 
He feared the people and he listened to their voice. This also happened in the book of Galatians with Peter. Remember Peter? Big tough guy of the apostles. Like if anybody would have been the bouncer out of the twelve, it would have been Peter. Galatians chapter 2, verse 12. Peter had come to the point where he began to fear the Jews. So what he would do is he would not eat with the Gentiles. He was being what we could call a racist again. Because he feared what people thought. And you know what Paul did? Now can you imagine what we know of Paul? This is historical records from what we know. He was a short little guy who had bow legs, a unibrow, no joke, no joke, a unibrow and a face of an angel. Probably a little dude and he goes and he confronts Peter. I mean, it's like the midget confronting the mighty. But he did it because he loved him. And let me just say something to our students here today. I've just seen, because I worked in student ministry. And by the way, I love kids. I do. Maybe it's because our, our, our maturity levels are somewhat the same. I don't know. I, I love kids because you can talk about anything. Your favorite dinosaur. I mean, cartoons. You talk to adults. How are you doing? Fine, fine, brother. Yes, amen. It's, But one of the things that I would challenge, especially grandparents and parents, challenge your children with this. There's all kinds of students, Franklin County High, Benjamin Franklin Middle School, all of the college around here, colleges, universities, where everybody wants to be their own man, their own woman, right? You've seen it. You've seen it, right? Nobody's going to tell me anything. I'm my own man. Won't listen to their parents. Won't listen to teachers. Only come to the grandparents when they want money. Shame on you. Because you think that you're going to be a rebel. That's the majority of the population today. Students, if that's what you're trying to do, you're not a rebel. You're just one in the, one in the crowd. You're not your own person. You're just one out of a big pack of cowards. Here's how you become a true rebel. You turn Saul's example on its head and you say, even if my whole graduating class, even if my whole dorm says, I'm going to go out, I'm going to listen to trash, I'm going to get drunk, I'm going to sleep around, I can get, I'm going to try to get whatever I can from whomever I can. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to go out and I'm just going to do my thing. I don't listen to my parents, I don't listen to my grandparents. I'm not going to, you know, forget church, forget the pastor, my Sunday school teacher. Oh, I wish they would lose my money. If that's you, you're a coward. Sorry. Just one of the pack. But if you say, you know what, even though everybody's going this way, I'm going to go the other way. That's a rebel. Amen? And we're talking not about rebelling against God. We're talking about rebelling against the culture. Be a rebel against the culture. If people look at us and they say, 100%, you're normal, that should be a wake-up call to us. Because normalcy today is just to go to church, listen to a sermon, and go home and there's no life change. The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Number three example. The fear of people can cause you to be ashamed of God's work in your life. If you have your Bible, hop over to John 
chapter 9 and verse 22 and 23. This is all in your notes, so if you're not a flipper, uh, Bible flip, um, what was the old school thing that we used to do? Sword drill, remember? Present swords. By the way, that's not like a militia at a Baptist church that's trying to find places in your Bible, just in case if you haven't been to church, that's what we did. We didn't have militia. This is John chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. His parents, this is speaking of the guy uh, who Jesus had given sight to, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, speaking of Jesus, to be the Christ, he was to put, be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So here's, here's the guy who was born blind, right? Never seen the light of day. Jesus comes by, gives the guy sight. Now stop right there. You and I, imagination, little kid moment, we are all blind. Imagine that. Whole life. Jesus comes by and he gives us sight. Now, as a parent, you would think that they would be so overwhelmed that they wouldn't care what anybody thought. But because they didn't want to address the question, because they were ashamed of what God had done in the life of their family, because they were afraid of what people thought, they said, you know what, just go, just go, talk. Just go talk to Him. Go talk to Him. It will cause you to minimize, the fear of people will cause you to minimize your devotion to God because of fearing what they think. And this is a great, I think this is in the Bible, in the Hebrew or Greek somewhere, but it deals with what people think about us. And this is very deep. Who cares? That was kind of a joke. Who cares? At the end of the day, think about it like this. The people that were so afraid, and we're so afraid of what they think, the fear of man, and we're all snared, we were you know, pulled in all these different directions. Those are the people who don't love us anyway. Why don't we care what the Lord thinks and what the people who truly love us to say, you know what, I don't care if you get yourself snared up, I'm going to come with some bolt cutters and I'm going to get you out. Right? Like that, that, that family member, that, that husband, that mom, that dad, that grandparent says, you know what, I don't care if you are somewhere to where we can't even find you, we're going to find you anyway. Ask those people what they think. And they'll give you the truth. Number four, the fear of what people think can keep you from getting saved. John chapter 12 and verse 42. This is an amazingly shocking verse. The Bible says, Nevertheless, even of the rulers, many even of the rulers believed in Him. Speaking of Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing Him. For fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Now verse 43 is huge. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. In the Greek New Testament, the word here for approval is the word for glory. And the word here for loved is the Greek word agape. So here's what it was. These people believed that Jesus was probably the Son of God, but they were too afraid of what other people thought to let anybody know that they were willing to stand for Christ. Because they loved the glory and the praise of other men, they did not confess Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Because when we study the Bible, isn't everything for the glory of God? Our lives are for the glory of God. He saves us ultimately for the glory of God. Our lives are to be an offering for the glory of God. But in this verse, what it's telling us when we go back to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare. It produces a trap. What it's saying 
is that when we live our lives based upon what other people think about us, we are going to turn our whole purpose of life on its head. And instead of loving God and giving glory to Him, we're going to love people and the glory that they give to us. And the crowd, if you've seen the movie Gladiator, the crowd is fickle. We've all known people. Good illustration. Vanilla Ice. It's a very age-graded thing. The rapper who was defunct. We've all known people who have risen to fame. MC Hammer. Too legit to quit. And then crashed again. We've all known those movie stars that have had one or two movies and it seems like after that the fame just got a hold of them and they couldn't handle it and they were destroyed. They lived for the glory and the lights and the glamour but when the movie was finished their life was as well. And may it be for us who live for Christ to say I will reject the false delusion that life is all about what other people think about me. Number five. The fear of people can even cause you to hate your life. 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verses 10 through 13. The great King David had run from Saul, the same Saul who was worried about what people thought. Saul was so insecure, he tried to pin his own son to the wall with a javelin, with a spear. He was hunting David like a wild dog. And it was a period in David's life where he, he stopped trusting in God, but he began to be fearful. And what he did, he went, this is so, this is so interesting for, for thinking about Goliath. He went to the city of Gath. Where was Goliath from? Goliath of Gath. And instead of showing up at the gate of Gath like a conqueror, David raved like a madman. He acted like he was insane. Now, I'm not going to do a demonstration for you, but the Bible says that David caused himself to foam at the mouth because he feared. Verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 21. David, the greatest warrior in Israel, the Bible says David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. David should have risen. He should have come to that place and said, You know who I am? I am David, and I come in the name of the Lord. I killed the biggest, baddest one you could sin, and because of that, I don't fear you. But because he took people's words to heart, it caused him to get to the point where he literally would hate his own life. He wasn't insane, but can you imagine the the depths of despair when you had gone from so high as the greatest warrior to so low that you were wanting people to think that you had lost your mind? So we know that the fear of what people think about us can snare us. You say, Jeff, well, what could we do about this? Two things, two action points. They're in your notes. Number one, ground your security in God and not the opinions of others. Remember Jesus and Pontius Pilate? Pilate told Jesus to the effect, I have your life in my hands. And Jesus says you would have no power except if it had not been given to you from heaven. 
Jesus had so much confidence in the sovereignty. Please hear this. In the sovereignty of God. Man, this is so freeing. It's like when we come to the point where we say, Lord, I may be awkward. It may be weird sharing the gospel. I'm kind of new at this or inviting people to church. But God, I want, I want to do what you want me to do. And when it comes to the point to where God has put his hand of blessing upon us, we can face the whole world. Because David later said when he got his life right, he says, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. Amen? Jesus will never leave you. And if we make it to the point where we're old and gray, and then we get old and gray, and then we get a little bit more old and gray. And younger people, we need to take notice. If some senior citizens, they've they've lived a long time, all their friends are dead. Speak life into them. Encourage them. But if we get to the point to where our friends have died, you may be widowed, you may be a widower, and you feel like you're all alone in the world. What we're used to, the house would be full of crazy kids, and now all you hear is the heater and the air conditioner. You think that the Lord has left you. He has not. The people that you had those inside jokes with for years, they've passed on. But one person who's going to be there when we pass through that door of death is Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered death. So what do we do from here and now, from between here and there? Ground our security, ground our self-image in God and not what other people say and think. Number two and finally, we should, we must repent of thinking of people as God and thinking of God only as an afterthought. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Because ultimately when it comes down to it, the fear of what other people think and living our lives based upon public opinion is nothing more than idolatry. It's putting something in front of God And what God says is that if your life has been characterized by fear, I know some people, they want to follow the Lord, but they're terrorized of getting baptized. We've not had one fatality when we've done all these baptisms here. Not one. We always bring them up. You just go down once, all right? And let's just be honest. Some people, too, the fear of large groups. I didn't tell you my story. There's a point where I I was so terrified to stand... If you're afraid of groups, if you're afraid of speaking out with your family, you know that one person that the Lord has put on your heart to invite to church to hear the gospel. God has shown you that you are snared, you are bound, you are tied up with what other people think. The Lord is telling you this morning, look, if you ground, if you choose to ground your self-image, your security, your self-worth in me, I will come with my supernatural bolt cutters of love and truth and free you. Because if you trust in me, the verse finishes, whoever trusts in the Lord will be made safe. Literally, it means to be exalted, which is to be lifted up above the snare.